good to see all of you tonight. And even though I can't see you out there in television land, we're glad to have you too joining us tonight. Genesis 28. Genesis 28, we're going to be looking at Jacob's journey. In fact, before we start at the beginning, I'd like to take you to a phrase that Jacob uses over in verse 20. Genesis 28, verse 20. It says, Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God is with me and protects me, and then notice these next words, On this journey I am taking. Jacob was on a journey. We're all on a journey. And as I shared, we, we're on a personal journey at any point in our life, and we're also on a corporate journey with others. And no matter what journey we are on, whatever situation or circumstances we have that we're dealing with, the main thing is that God wants us to find him in our journey as a church and as individuals, just like Jacob did. God wants us to find him on our journey. Let me say this also before I begin in chapter 28. God doesn't have a plan B. It's all plan A for him. Sometimes as human beings, as Christians, we think, oh man, you know, I, I made that mistake and I failed there and, you know, by this time God has got to be down on plan C or D for me. It's like, no, no. God is in it all, all the twists and turns, all the detours, everything, God is in it all and God is pursuing us and God wants to engage with us, and God wants us to find him in it all. And we, we definitely see that in the book of Genesis here with all these characters. I mean, the whole reason that Jacob is on this journey is because of what happened in the last chapter, where he and his mother conspired to deceive his father Isaac and the blessing, and it caused the tension that was already there within that family and the lack of trust to even get worse. And so he's literally running away from his brother because his brother wants to kill him. Not a very good family situation, right? Yet God is right in the midst of it all. Now, before we get to Jacob's encounter with God tonight, though, we want to begin at the beginning here, back in chapter 28, verse 1, when Jacob's father Isaac called for him and blessed him. Simply ask God to prosper him. And then he commanded him, laid this charge before him. You must not marry a Canaanite woman. Don't marry someone that does not believe in Yahweh. If God is going to bless and going to fulfill his promises, then we need to be, you know, following him and, and seeing him do all these wonderful things. And even though God is going to fulfill his promises, whether we're faithful or not, if we want the blessing and favor of God upon us, then this is what we need to do. So he's giving him good advice. In a sense, don't be unequally yoked would be the New Testament equivalent. Leave immediately, verse 2, for 
Padan Aram. That is the homeland of his mother, Jacob's mother, Rebekah. Go to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and find yourself a wife there among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. That's where you'll find a young gal that believes in Jehovah like you do. And then notice verse 3. What Isaac then begins to do in verse 3 after he blesses his son and after he lays this charge of not marrying someone that is not a believer before his son, notice he begins to exalt God. Before we get into the specifics, this is really an important application for us. If we are a parent getting ready to send our children out into the world, the best thing we can do for them is to exalt God before their eyes. The best thing we can do as spiritual leaders in a church is to exalt God before the eyes of his people. The best thing you can do as a Christian with your fellow Christians and with your friends and all of that is to exalt God before their eyes. To lift him up. And that's exactly what Isaac does here. He, he has his low points, as we've seen, and he has his high points. This is a high point for Isaac as he's getting ready to talk to his son for the last time that he's probably going to see him alive on earth. Notice what he says in verse 3. May the sovereign God bless you. And even the names of God are significant here. He's using the name of God that speaks about God being almighty and sufficient. Again, exalting God in the eyes of his son. Son, you're getting ready to go on a journey, a very important journey, a very significant journey. You're going to go out on your own. I'm not going to be with you. Your mom's not going to be with you. Your friends aren't going to be with you. No other family member. There's going to be this, you have to find God for yourself. And you will find him on this journey. And you will see that he's with you and that he's faithful and that he's almighty and that he's sufficient. That he will meet your every need as you look to him and as you follow him. May he make you fruitful. May he cause you to grow and increase is what the word fruitful means in the Hebrew. And Isaac is basically saying, look, you can't make yourself fruitful. You can't grow and increase without God. You need to rely and depend upon him. But when you do, Isaac, he will cause growth and increase in your life. He will cause fruit. And he will give you a fruitful life. He will give you a multitude of descendants. Then you will become a large nation. Then notice as he goes on, may he give you and your descendants the blessing or the prosperity that he gave to Abraham so that you may possess all that God has for you. Notice in verse 4 that Isaac is saying, by the, using the word give there at the beginning of verse 4, 
that whatever God gives you, it is a gift. You don't deserve it. You don't earn it. It's a gift of his grace, just as he gave to Abraham. And notice that Isaac is tying Jacob back to his grandfather. Again, he's reminding Jacob here, you are part of something bigger than yourself, something bigger than you could ever imagine. You are just a link in the chain. Keep following the Lord in all that you do. He will allow you to possess the land which he gave to Abraham, the land where you've been living as a temporary resident, as a sojourner, as a pilgrim. You'll be able to settle down there and not be a stranger. So notice, what's he doing with his son here before he sends him out on this journey? He's getting him to focus on God. He, he, he wants him to see that everything that he will need, everything that he will want, all that, that he could ever experience that would be fulfilling and satisfying will be found in God. It will flow from God. God will give it to him as he follows the Lord and as he believes that God is the almighty, all-sufficient God. You and I need to do the same. As we follow God and learn that he is almighty and all-sufficient and that we can trust him and rely upon him and depend upon him in every situation and for all things, then out of the reality that we are living, we can pass that on to others, whether it be our children, our grandchildren, our friends, our family members, our fellow Christians, whoever it is. God wants us to influence others, and the way we do that is by exalting God in their eyes and getting them to turn to him. So Isaac sent Jacob Verse 5, on his way, and he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, son of Bethuel, the Arminian, and brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. So that's the Isaac-Jacob interchange. I, I want to just spend a little bit of time here then on poor Esau, the other side of it. Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob, verse 6, sent him off to Padan Aram to find a wife there. And as he blessed him, Isaac commanded him, you must not marry a Canaanite woman. So Esau's overhearing this, right? Well, we already know that Esau's already married two other wives who did not believe in Yahweh. And notice it says in verse 7 that Jacob obeyed his father and mother and left for Padan Aram. What Isaac was saying and laying before Jacob was also what Rebekah would have said to him, too. They were finally, after all this time, the parents were finally aligned. Did you notice that? Up to this point, they were sort of, Isaac and Rebekah had their own agendas and their own favorites and all of that, and it caused a lot of problems, as it is already still doing and will do, but here, Isaac and Rebekah are on the same page when it comes to their advice and their counsel and all of that to their son, Jacob. And Jacob heard them. 
Very interesting. That's what the Hebrew word obeyed in verse 7 means. It means to hear. You know, when we think of the word hearing, we just simply think of the physical process of, of hearing physically what someone is saying. But to a Hebrew, to a Jew, to hear meant to follow, meant that to obey, because that means I really heard it. <laughs> you, you and I can hear things and not follow it. To the Hebrew, it was one and the same. If I'm truly hearing it and I'm, I'm being heard, then I will follow, which is why even Jesus used a phrase when he was here on earth ministering and training disciples and making disciples, if any of you have an ear to hear, let him hear, right? Why does Jesus use that term? Because, again, to a Jew especially, they understood to hear something meant to follow it, meant to obey it. But then Esau, verse 8, realized that the Canaanite women were displeasing to his father Isaac or disagreeable. So what's Esau do? Well, he went to Ishmael and married another ungodly woman. He's not helping him. He, he's trying to curry the favor or gain the favor of his father. But here's a sad thing of what we're seeing. We're seeing Esau groping, if you will, to try to find his way in the world. Because he's not aligned with God and following God, He's trying to figure it out himself. And so he hears this conversation between his father and his brother, and he's like, yeah, you know what? Well, maybe if I marry this girl, maybe then my parents will be proud of me. Maybe, maybe I'll have favor with them. Maybe, you know, no, Esau, because you're not starting in the right place. You're trying to figure this out apart from God, and you keep making bad decisions, and you just keep multiplying the problems you have, because now you've got three ungodly wives instead of two. So you can see the distinction here that God is making in his word between Jacob, who at least is trying now to go down the right path by listening to his parents and the godly advice that they're giving him, and Esau's still out there on his own trying to figure it out. Then we come to verse 10. And before we get into the rest of the chapter, I want to set it up this way, because I want us to really, in some way, capture where, where Jacob would have been at this point. Think about it because of the fear of what his brother may do to him. So, so just stop there for a second. You have siblings, you have brothers. You know, have you ever been in a place where you thought your sibling, your brother or sister would literally take your own life? That's where Jacob's at. A family member is going to take his life if he hangs around. So he's got to leave everything familiar to him. He's got to leave his family. He's got to leave his friends. He's got to leave his home. And he goes out on this journey somewhere where he's never went to Padan Aram and try to find a wife, but he's all alone. Think about it. He has no one with him on this journey. It's just him. He feels very, very alone. And that's what makes what's about to happen so significant because God is going to come to him 
and remind him of something that God wants us to be reminded of tonight, too, and that is we're never alone. Never. We may feel alone, and we may be alone physically like Jacob was. There was no other human being with him at this point around him, seeing him, hearing him, understanding, caring, and all of that. But God was right there with him. So it says, Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. I want to say one more thing about Esau, and then we'll just spend the rest of our time talking about Jacob and God's encounter here. Another distinction is, notice, Esau again, no goal. Groping to find his own way. Jacob had a goal. The goal was Haran. I've got a place that I'm moving to or toward on my journey. I'm not like Esau just groping and wandering around and trying to figure it out for myself. And I point that out because that's a great spiritual principle for us to remember, that no matter where we are on our journey with God, there's got to be a goal set before us, you see. Always. Otherwise, we're reduced to be more like Esau, who's just groping around, trying to figure it out ourselves and find our own way. And you see this even spiritually in the New Testament when God, through people like Paul, sets before us goals. Paul, this one thing I do, or I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There, there has to be that destination that we're moving towards. You see, otherwise, we're like the children of Israel or Esau. We're just going to wander around aimlessly and have no point or destination to point to. Jacob had a goal for the journey. The goal, Haran. He reached a certain place, verse 11, where he decided to camp because the sun had gone down. He took one of the stones and placed it near his head. I think he placed it under his head. I think the stone was his pillow. Then he fell asleep in that place and had a dream. He saw a stairway erected on the earth with its top reaching to the heavens, and the angels of God were going up and coming down on it. Let's stop for a moment. Notice that even as Jacob is asleep, God is pursuing him. God comes to him without being asked. Because the dream is from God. And it reminds us that we're never alone. He was in the middle of nowhere at this point, all by himself, and yet God is right there. And God waits till he goes to sleep to come to him in a dream and give him a vision. Again, Jacob never asked God to come, never sought his presence at this point, God is pursuing Jacob. Why? Well, for one reason, Jacob is the one that God is going to continue to fulfill his promises through, just as he did Abraham and Isaac. Not because Jacob is something great. Jacob's got a lot of growing up to do in so many ways. 
out of his grace. But God understands if Jacob is willing to engage with me and experience me, he will begin to be fruitful. He will begin to grow into the potential that I have placed within him. And God has that same plan for us. Wherever we are on our journey, as long as we're willing to engage with God and experience God and be in his presence, God will make us fruitful, he will grow us, and he will increase us, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the situation. As long as we stay connected to God and become aware that he is with us and engage with him continually, we'll be on our way to where God wants us to be. The stairway here, or as many have called it over the years, Jacob's ladder, is simply showing the messengers or angels of God in a continual connection between heaven and earth. In a sense, God is saying to him, Jacob, I've got you. There is this unbroken connection between heaven and earth. There's this stairway. There's this ladder. There's whatever you, staircase, whatever you want to say. But there's always a connection between me in heaven and you on earth. You're never out of my sight. I know exactly what's going on and where you are. And you're not alone right now. Jacob, I am here. And notice it says the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, stood at the top of this stairway, verse 13. Again, that's the name for Jehovah, the covenant name for the God of the Israelites, that God has entered into a covenant with his people, and he's faithful and he's trustworthy, and he's reliable, and he's dependable, and we can always count on him. And Jacob is beginning to learn that. He thinks he's out there on the way to Haran, and he's all alone, and he's got to, you know, just try to make it by himself. No. He has great godly advice from his parents. He's got a goal in mind, but God wants him to know, I'm right here with you, and I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to make sure that you reach that destination and that you find a wife, and it's all going to be because of me. Notice what God says to him in verse 13. And don't miss the first two words. They're very significant. God says, I am. I am. And you recognize that. Later on, God's going to use those same words to Moses when Moses says, when I go back to the Israelites, and they ask me, well, what's his name? God says, tell them I am that I am. Same words used in Genesis 28 that's used in the book of Exodus with Moses. I am the Lord, the God of your father Isaac. The word God, Elohim, strong and mighty one. I will give you, again, as a gift of grace, your descendants and the ground that you are lying on. What is God doing? He's coming to Jacob and he's, again, 
reassuring him of the promises that he made all the way back to his grandfather Abraham and then to his father Isaac, and now he's reassuring Jacob. In every generation, God comes multiple times reassuring them of the promises that he's made and that he will be good on those promises and make good on those promises. Your descendants, verse 14, will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west, east, north, and south. All the families of the earth will pronounce blessings on one another using your name and that of your descendants. And then notice what he says in verse 15 to Jacob. I am, and I am is with you. Oh, again, that's all you need. To know that God is with you. And God is saying that to Jacob. You're not alone, Jacob. I, the I am, am with you and will be with you through everything. I will protect you. I will keep watch over you. I will preserve you, in the Hebrew, wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land. Wow. How this must have just encouraged and, and strengthened Jacob at this point, because he's out there going, oh, I've left my family, I've left my friends, I've left my home. I know where I'm going, but man, this is, I don't know what my future holds. I've got to find a wife and all this. And God says, I've got you. And the reason why this is so important is because we can apply this same truth to our lives today. It doesn't matter where we are on our journey. God is coming to us, saying the same thing to us. Don't let go of my promises. All my promises are yes and amen. I am with you in this journey I'll never leave you or forsake you. I will protect you on this journey. I will watch over you. I will guard you. I will preserve you. And I will not leave you or fail you until I have done what I promised, until I fulfilled everything I said. And God would say the same thing to us. I will not fail you. I am a God that's incapable of failing you. God never fails we can always rely depend and count on the lord and this is the truth that god wanted to infuse in jacob on his journey what was jacob getting here he was getting a good large dose of the presence of god and the promises of god that's what he was getting. And you know what? On our journey through life, no matter what that journey is and what season of that journey we're on and all of that, the same thing is true. You know what will encourage us and, and strengthen us? A good dose of the presence of God and a good dose of the promises of God. Then I love the last part of this chapter. Jacob woke up and thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, but at first I did not recognize it or realize it. Notice what's going on here, as we even sung about tonight. Make me more aware of your presence when we sung about the Holy Spirit. Notice that Jacob is beginning to become aware of the personal presence of God for him. We all need to grow 
in recognizing and being more aware of the personal presence of God in our lives. Listen, God as God is omnipresent, so he's everywhere. He's always here. But there's a difference between understanding theologically that God is present everywhere and that God's personal presence is with me and that I can sense it, that I feel it, that I'm aware of it. And all of us on our journey needs to grow in growing in our awareness of the personal presence of God with us every day. And that's why worship is so important. And growing in our worship is so important because it helps to heighten our awareness of God's personal presence in our life. I mean, think about it. Jacob's one of the patriarchs, and yet Jacob says, God was here with me, and I didn't, I didn't even realize it at first. I didn't even recognize it. I, I think about that with Christians today. How many Christians come into even a church like ours where you know the presence of God is here, and you may, you may it's like, God, I know God's here. And there may be another Christian who goes, I don't sense anything, because they haven't gotten to that point yet. And that's why we need to continue to grow them and help them to come to the place like Jacob. It, it, it's something that you and I become more aware of as we grow in God and as we grow in our worship, we become more aware of his presence with us. Not just, yeah, I know God's with us and I know God's in the world. No, no, that he's really with you and you can sense it. That's Jacob. And then Jacob says, certainly, now I know for sure that the Lord is present in this place. Oh, God wants us all to get to that point where we sense and are aware of the presence of God. Notice, as part of Jacob's response to this, he was afraid, but that simply means he was exhibiting a healthy reverence and respect for God. It was a healthy fear, if you will. It's like, wow, God's here which that should also be true in our lives. <laughs> that as we move in the midst of God's presence, we grow in our reverence and respect for who God is because he's so awesome and great and majestic. And then he says this, what an awesome place this is. What an awe-inspiring, wondrous place this is. Why? Because God's here. This is nothing else than the house of God. This is where God has met me. That's what he's trying to say. This is the gate or door that opens heaven, Jacob said. And that's exactly the case for us. When you and I experience the presence of God personally in our lives or corporately here at our church or other places with other believers, it's like we're getting a taste of glory in heaven because God's presence is amongst us. And that's what makes heaven and glory what it is. Not the streets of gold, as wonderful as all that is, and all the colors and all of that, of, of all the stones and, and everything of the, of the great you know, New Jerusalem and all those things described. Really, I mean, it's going to be wondrous and it's going to be awe-inspiring and it's going to be glorious, but the thing that makes heaven heaven is the presence of God. And when you and I experience his presence, we have to remind ourselves, that's experiencing heaven on earth. 
That's a taste of heaven because God has opened up the door of heaven and he's come down to us on earth and he allows us to engage and experience his presence. What an awesome thing. What an awesome experience. What a wondrous place that is. That's why the Oasis Church should be a physical place that holds significance in our lives because when we come here, we experience the presence of God. But not only here, you can experience that real presence of God anywhere. First of all, because God is with you, and second of all, because the Holy Spirit of God is in us. And God wants us to be more and more aware of that presence. So notice again, Jacob continuing to respond to this revelation from God. Early in the morning, verse 18, Jacob took the stone he had placed near his head and set it up as a sacred stone because this is sacred space. He is anointing this as a memorial of the divine appearance. This place has become now very significant and sacred to Jacob, and that's why he pours anointing oil on top of it. He's setting it apart. He's saying this is a place that will always carry significance and always be sacred to me because my God met me here. I didn't ask him to come here. He was pursuing me before I ever pursued him. And he just was overwhelmed by the visitation of God and by the presence of God. And you and I should never get over the visitation of God in our lives. We should never get over the privilege of experiencing and engaging with his presence. It's something that Jacob held on to his whole life. He called that place Bethel, house of God, the place where God and I meet, although the former name was Luz. But now for many thousands of years, that place, and it still is, known as Bethel. Verse 20, then Jacob made a vow. By the way, this is the first recorded vow in the Bible. And Jacob's vow is a response to what God has promised. But notice, and this is where Jacob still has growing to do, as we all do. He makes this commitment, if you will, or this vow conditional. Notice he uses the word if. God, if you are with me and protect me on this journey I'm taking, if you give me food to eat and clothing to wear, if you do follow through with all the things that you promised and return me safely to my father's home, then you, God, will become my God. <laughs> See, Jacob had not yet fully surrendered and dedicated himself to God. It was like he wasn't all in with God yet. He, it, God was not exclusively being worshipped by Jacob yet. And yet God accommodates his weak faith. And God meets us where we are. We may still be in that place where it's like, well, God, if you do this for me and I see you, you know, then all of us are there at, at time. But what God wants to do again by us experiencing his presence and engaging with his presence 
is grow us beyond that conditional type stuff and out of that to where we just trust him simply because God said it, not because we have to see it, you see. And that we base our commitment on God following through with what he said. No, God wants us to get to the place where we are fully all in with God and committed even before we see him fulfill his promises. Because as many of the patriarchs, they never actually saw all that God promised them. They died in their faith, not seeing all that fulfillment. And that's what God wants to see in us. But Jacob's not there yet. Okay, God meets us where we are, knowing again that Jacob, if I can just get you to keep hanging in there with me and coming into my presence, you'll get there. And God is saying the same thing to us today. His presence powerfully transforms our lives like nothing else. Then verse 22, this stone that I have set up as a sacred stone for this sacred place will be the house of God. And I will surely give you back a tenth of everything you give me. Notice. This was totally Jacob. There was no such thing as a tithe or offering or giving of any sort up to this point. This was just something that Jacob on his own said, I am so moved, God, that I'm, I'm going to give as part of my worship. So notice in verse 22, worship involves two things. By, by using the phrase, the house of God, worship involves practice. We talked about that Sunday. What we do here is preparation and practice for all of eternity. It's what's going on now in heaven, and it's what we're going to be doing throughout eternity. So God wants us to understand. We come to the house of God regularly, and we meet with God, with God's people, so that we can prepare our hearts and prepare our lives and practice what we're going to be doing for all of eternity, which is to worship and serve God. But the second thing is worship also involves giving. That's another part of worship. And Jacob is responding to the presence of God and to meeting God in those ways. Again, he's got a long way to go, but he's on the right path. Why? Because God pursued him even while he was asleep. Even without him asking, God was there. And God came to Jacob and says, I'm with you. I've got you, and I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to fulfill all the promises that I have given to your grandfather Abraham, and it's going to happen through you. And all of that assurance and all of that encouragement and all of that strength came through Jacob engaging with the very presence of God. And the same thing is true with us. When we become more aware of his personal presence in our lives, all of us can be encouraged and strengthened and assured each and every day on our journey because all of us are on that journey. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight that, Lord, as you met with Jacob on his journey, Lord, it's a reminder that you meet with us right where we are on our journey too. And that, Lord, even at times when we feel all alone like Jacob felt, that there's nobody else who sees, who hears, who cares. God, you're right there. And you come to us, even without ask, us asking. 
and you're there to pour out your presence so that, Lord, we can be strengthened for our journey. So, God, I pray that this story tonight from Genesis 28 would be a strength for our journey, Lord, that no matter where we are, God, we can experience your presence through the wonderful sacrifice of Jesus. And we can come into your presence at all times. And Lord, especially those places like our church here that you've given us, Lord, can be such a significant and sacred space because, God, you meet with us regularly here multiple times a week. And may we never take that for granted, God, that you come down and you meet with your people to encourage and strengthen us. God, take us all home tonight. Lord, give us a good rest of the week and bring us back on Sunday, Lord, that we might come and experience and engage with your presence again. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.